We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. The title of the message tonight is From the Red Carpet to a Cross. When there's a new movie that comes out where there are award uh, ceremonies, something important, dignitaries coming to town, we say that we roll out the red carpet, and sometimes we actually do that. You go to an event, and they have rolled a red carpet for you to walk on, and the important people at that event enter in with a welcome, a very uh, dignified, hopefully formal welcome that you're rolling out the red carpet. We say that when many of you are hospitable, you have people in your home, and you're just so gracious, and you share with them, and and we say that you've rolled out the red carpet. So uh, when visitors come, dignitaries come. I was in Israel about to go in Yad Vashem, the Israeli Holocaust Museum, one of the most emotional, powerful things I've ever been through. They said, we have to wait for a minute. And a car, a long limousine-type car with flags all over it pulled up, and whoever that was got to go in the museum ahead of all of us and probably had a private tour because he was more important than we were. We couldn't believe that actually. There were 25 of us. We thought we were, you know, we didn't have flags on our cars, but we rolled out the red carpet for something that's important. We want to show honor. Well, Jesus is going to get the red carpet rolled out to him in what we call the triumphal entry going into Jerusalem. He has but a few days to live here on this earth but the carpet is rolled out and God is going to cause Jesus to be welcomed into Jerusalem. It doesn't say it in the gospel of Mark, but in other gospels, they came and told uh, Jesus, should we tell their disciples, or they, they said, tell your disciples to be quiet because they cried out, welcoming him to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, if I did, the rocks along the road would cry out. God the Father was going to have Jesus honored and welcomed in a triumphal entry into Jerusalem and nothing was going to stop that. But tonight, along with that, there are two major beautiful lessons that are throughout the scripture. Remember I talked to you about pearl stringing? When you have a, a, a pearl necklace, someone has had to drill little holes, put that through the little hose with a cord, a, a uh, what's that called? A, not a chain, but yeah, whatever it is that you put pearls together with, uh, you string them together and you make a fine necklace. Well, in the scripture, there are themes that go all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's like stringing pearls when you see them all fitting together. And uh, God masterfully in his word does that. You might have heard this phrase, the scarlet thread of redemption. That's all through the Bible. And so it's like pearl stringing, putting a fine pearl necklace together. And you're going to see some things in this passage that I hope will be a blessing to you. This is the passion narrative. This is the story of Jesus' final hours, final days here on the earth as the human son of man. It's going to be the story of Jesus' betrayal. Not tonight, coming up. His trials, his suffering, and eventually his death in Jerusalem. As Jared read to us in Mark chapter 11, verse 1, it says, as they approach Jerusalem, remember you go up to Jerusalem, any way that you enter that city, you're going to go up to it. As Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, 
Go to the village opposite you and immediately, those of you who, when we started the gospel of Mark, I told you that he loved the word and he loved the word immediately. And that is number 37. This is the 37th time Mark in his excitement of telling the story of Jesus and immediately. I mean, this is like a, now I'm not calling him a child, but this is like a child that is so excited to tell you what happened. And so that's number 37. Go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. We think of a colt as a baby horse. This is the foal of a donkey. Um, there you're going to find one on which, very important, no one yet has ever sat. You know, I ought to just ask Kim Clark to come up here and tell us what it's like to take a, a, a calf or a young, uh, young animal and just decide you're going to ride down the street on it uh, and it's never had anybody on its back. Can you see Kim kind of smiling? I can up here because you just don't do that. Hold on. On this colt that is never, uh, no one yet had ever sat, untie it, bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately, in the same paragraph, number 38, he will send it back here. Probably you're thinking of the scripture of the Old Testament, Zechariah 9.9, that was prophesying the Messiah would come. And one of the ways the Messiah would come. Now, remember the Jews wanted David back. They wanted David, a military general, to ride on a white stallion and to come into Jerusalem and say, I'm back and we're going to run these Romans out of here. We are going to reclaim this land and we are going to know all the promises of God that he had ever given us and that's not the way Jesus came. Prophecy of the Messiah to come said this in Zechariah, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation humble. He's not coming as that mighty military leader that roars in in victorious fashion. He comes humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the son of a female donkey, an unbroken animal. And one of the things that we do see about this is Jesus's humility. He was born in a manger, swaddling clothes, uh, to a, not a wealthy family. Everything that Jesus did for us is showing it's not about fleshly advantage. It's not about this world. This world is not our home. And he came humbly into this world and he lived humbly and yet he was the greatest. If anybody ever deserved the red carpet, it would be the son of God. If you find that colt there tied up, you loose him and bring him to me. If anybody says to you anything, you tell him that the Lord has need of him. I want you to think for with me uh, for a few moments. So I'm, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read 1 Samuel 6, 12. Those of you take notes, write that down. 1 Samuel 6, 12. Jesus is about to get on this little unbroken animal that's never had a human sit on his back. That's going to be against that animal's nature against his flesh, against his brain, against his physical body, it is going to be totally different than that animal could ever even imagine. But one of the beautiful things is that the creator has control over the creation. 
When God wants to, when Jesus wants to, he can cause an animal that has never had a man sit on his back to be calm as could be, get on that animal and ride right down the street of Jerusalem like he had been broken, trained, haltered, saddled, and ridden all of the days of its life. The creator has power over the creation. Remember, he's the one that said to the storm, peace be still. Some of you that might be watching on, online here tonight, you may be having a storm wherever you're at. Jesus still is in the business of saying, peace be still. And the, cloud, the, the, the storm had to obey him. Remember when Jesus was down in the boat and the storm rose up? But when he that was down in the boat rose up, the storm went down. Because he is the creator and he's over creation. In 1 Samuel 6, 12, just real, real quickly, the, the Philistines had stolen the ark of God. The ark that had the covenant, uh, the, the, the tablets of the covenant, the, the Aaron's rod that budded, uh, some of the manna. The, the ark of the covenant was a symbol for much of the time as God's, of God's presence. It was of his power. When the ark was present, God was saying, I'm right there with you. It, you didn't walk up next to the ark. You remember that one guy that it was about to tip over and he reached up and touched it and he died instantly. You, they had a, uh, following the ark, it would be about 2,000 cubits ahead. You don't get close to the ark because that's the presence of God. The ark doesn't follow you, you follow the ark. Symbol of the presence and power of God. Well, the enemy stole it. And that's a, kind of a comical uh, part of the scripture. Everywhere it went, uh, they just got sick. They got all kinds of tumors. They got all kinds of things. So one guy would say, here, you take it for a while. I don't want it in my house. The same thing would happen to them. Here, you take it. And this in 1 Samuel 6 is the time when the ark's coming home. It's a time when the ark's coming home. David's going to dance in the streets. And remember, that's when the lady made fun of him for dancing. Uh, you might have grown up in a church that said, we can't dance. I want to tell you what, God's people can dance. It's just not the kind of dancing you see on television today. <laughs> the ark's going to come home. And you know how God brought it home? It says, and the cows... They took two mama cows and they shut up their calves at home. Now, Kim, I would ask you again, how does that work? Is that easy to do? If you try to get in between that mama cow and that calf, you're going to get to know her up close and personal. She's going to come visit you. And so God is going to prove that he's a creator over the power of creation he is going to take two mama cows, milk cows, and that have babies, put that, that uh, yoke around them, a cart, the Ark of the Covenant's on the cart, and these cows, who everything in their nature is, don't harness me, I'm not going to pull a cart, I've got a baby that needs me, and I'm going to defend it and take care of it and feed it. These cows, they hook it up, and it says the cows took the, took the straight way in the direction of Bethshemus. I was up in Pennsylvania a few months ago, and we went on a horse ride uh, through uh, 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 Gettysburg. And uh, when I got on the horse, they picked out, they had us all line up, and they said, you take this horse, you take this horse. And the lady said, you take this horse. And I thought, hmm. I, I didn't know if, if my buddies had paid her off or something, and this, she, she just said, now that horse is going to want to eat that green grass on the path. 
he's not going to want to follow that horse in front. He's going to want to eat that green grass. And sure enough, I'm sitting there all the time just pulling those reins, jerking his head back because he wants to eat. Notice, I'm going to read this to you. The cows took the straight way in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Again, God caused against nature. And when we end tonight, you're going to see a very important point in that. Against nature. Jesus overrode the natural. Can he still do that today? Absolutely. He can give you, he can give me ability and strength to do things that's not rational, that's not reasonable. The world would say, how could you go through what you're going through and still function? Because we have a good God. The creator has power over the creation. Some of the most faithful Christian believers that I know have gone through some of the toughest things in life. How can you do that? Because the creator has power over the creation. And he just made that little foal of a donkey to be able to sit on me, walk right down in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament there, he just made these cows, even though they had those babies at home, to carry that ark right where God wanted to carry it. I think it's one of the greatest stories in all the scripture. Remember that the creator rules over our flesh. The creator has creation. He can overcome the natural. I have a friend I've told you about probably before, but been in oil production 42, 43 years. Uh, when we went to, through school together, he would take a zero if he had to get up in front of the class. No oral reports for him. He is not going to speak in front of a crowd. He's just not going to do it. If I ask him this day to give a, a, a report over oil production in West Texas, he would say no. He's very knowledgeable, very intelligent. But you know what? For the last 30 years, I could say, brother, would you stand up tonight in church and give your testimony? And he said, I'd be glad to. Now, he may, he may be shaking. There may be a tremor in his voice. But what's happening there? He so loves Christ that he knows how important that is, and he knows Jesus will give him strength. And I've watched it over and over again. The creator overcome his fear. Do you know that's the, the number one fear in the world is public speaking? That's the number one. There's a lot of other ones, fears of other things, but that's the, the most common one. And he has it. But when it comes to sharing his faith, we just see the creator overcome and give him courage to do that. I've watched it for three decades now, and I just love it. Verse four, they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. Just like Jesus said, they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? You mean Jesus knows what the crowd's gonna say before they say it? When we get surprised at what's on the news at night, can you believe they said that? Or you see something on social media, can you believe they said that? It does not surprise God at all. He knows Psalm 139, our thoughts before we have them. Isn't that amazing? Right now, whatever you're thinking about, I don't like this guy's shirt. Jesus knew you were going to have that thought. <laughs> whatever it may be, he knows our thoughts ahead of time. And he said, yep, there's some people. What are you doing untying the coat? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and that's a key. Say it just like Jesus said it. 
Becky, is it good when you're teaching those women? Steve, when you're teaching those men? If you're going to say the word of God, say it just like Jesus said it. The Lord has need of it. And they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it, and he sat on it. I'll guarantee you there were some ranchers and farmers in the crowd, and they thought, I'm not believing what I'm seeing. He is sitting on that unbroken animal. Guys, do you realize what's happening there? And I just love the testimony of the power of the creator. Many spread their coats in the road and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the field. How many of you grew up in a church and in Sunday school, somebody, the teacher went by the, uh, the flower shop and got those little branches of leaves and the kids all waved those on Palm Sunday when Jesus was coming in Jerusalem. I just love those times. And they literally, that was a symbol, a symbol of great honor. You remember back in the 1700s, 1800s, reading some of the things you might have read in school, and when a man showed chivalry to a woman, he would take off his coat, throw it in a mud hole, she'd walk over his coat. Well, that's the same kind of thing here. It is giving of yourself, laying it down for someone that's important to you. So they took their coats off and put them there. They put branches there. They were making a way for the Messiah to come to Jerusalem. And as I said, regardless of the crowd, regardless of the, the mob that would uh, cry crucify him in a few days, God the Father was gonna have Jesus honored when he entered Jerusalem. I love that. Uh, some of you might have been watching the Olympics. I think it's over, right? Were you guys watching the closing ceremonies not long ago? Uh, I love it when we see Christians. We are commanded to be salt and light. Now, how many of you watch that and think, I could do that? That, that 30 meter, wasn't it, the diving thing? That's, isn't that three stories? I can't even climb up there, much less jump, jump off of that. I don't know how they do that. So many things that athletically they're skilled to do that I'm going, uh, th there's just no way. I mean, I would, I would be a diver and I'd, I'd do the worst cannonball there ever was. I would get a negative number on my score. It would be below zero. But we're, we're fascinated with that. But I just can't help but say, thank you, Lord, when a young lady out, outruns the whole world. She just runs faster than everybody. She's not afraid to take the flag of her country, America. The Bible says, honor the king, honor our country, regardless of what anybody else tells you. And she also says, you know what? I don't run just for awards anymore. I run for the glory of God. It's not about winning. It's about honoring God. Well, I want to honor that. And so there's some good things that happened the last few weeks. Real Christians standing in the spotlight, salt and light in the world. I praise the Lord for them. They're spreading the branches, cutting, taking their, their coats off, putting it in. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. That means, Lord, save us. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is a parade. This is a homecoming. This is a welcoming. This is giving Jesus the key to the city. We're so glad you're here for a brief time. 
It's a red carpet that's going to turn into a cross. I was at a pastor's conference one time several years ago and a man was talking about the statistics of how long a pastor stays at a church. You know how long it is? Three years. All over our world, three years is as long as some pastors stay at a church. Think about that. Our senior pastor, Tommy, has been here for uh, almost five decades. Uh, that's not an easy thing, so we're thankful for that. He kind of laughed and he said, yeah, three years because the first year a preacher goes to church, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody's happy and glad to have a new preacher. The second year they say, follow him. And third year they say, crucify him. And that's why the preacher moves out of town the third year because it's about like it was in Jesus's ministry. But verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know what that means? It's the city of peace. City of peace. This city is going to be anything but peaceful to our Lord. Should have been peaceful. Should have been the Jews saying the long-awaited Messiah, he's here. And announcing to the world this one that God has told us about. That will come and save us from our sins, he's here. But the Jews rejected him. And it would be anything but peace. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. You remember Bethany's where he went. Stayed some of the last few days of his life with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He would soon enter. Now he's had the red carpet, the triumphal entry. They threw out the carpet for him. Welcome. But it lasted a matter of hours because the red carpet was going to turn into a cross. Verse 12, on the next day when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Remember Jesus was a man. He was all God, but he was all man. He didn't have a free pass. A guy told me that one time. We, when I was sharing, we need to trust the Lord. He'll give us strength to walk as he did. He said, oh, Jesus, Jesus had it easy. He had a, he had a free pass. Oh, really? Dying on a Roman cross, crucified, and not just the most hideous torture. Isaiah says Jesus' face was marred. It was beaten more than any other man. He had had Roman flogging on, the, on his back to where it literally tears the flesh off of him. He had a free pass. And above all the physical pain and suffering, there was a time when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father laid the sins of all mankind, my sin and your sin, on Jesus. Why do we beg you to get, get honest with God and get real and get busy serving him and loving him? It's not because we just want to fill this place up. We ought to have this place filled up. But it's not just because of that. It's because he deserves it. He deserves it. We give him the highest honor and the highest glory because he willingly did that. And God, the Bible says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every time you've sinned, every time I've sinned, that's what put him on the cross. Peter Marshall, 1940s, was the chaplain of the United States Senate, preached a sermon. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And he ended up saying at the end of it, he was. And we were too because it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. 
On the next day, verse 12, when they left Bethany, he became hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, a lot of people will take this story and say, why is Jesus expecting figs at the wrong time of the year? Well, I believe there's a very important teaching in God's word. The Lord writing through Paul back to Timothy says, be instant in season and out of season. Peter says, be ready to give an answer of the hope that is in you at all times. You and I, whether it's in season or out of season, whether it's the right time or what the world would say is the wrong time, we need to be ready to share what Jesus has done in our life. And I believe that is a beautiful example Jesus came looking for figs and there wasn't any there. Does he come looking in our life too for fruit? He does, doesn't he? A lot of parables had to do with that. The landowner came back looking for something. He's going to come back looking for us too. I want to share with you a few verses. You can turn to these if you'd like. but And then we're going to jump back to the fact that the creator overrides creation. He has power over his creation. He can do anything. But there's an, there's an important lesson, I believe, right here. He found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. He cursed the tree, and his disciples were listening. One of the other gospels talks about they walked by that tree in another day, and it's all shriveled up and, and died. How important is it to be ready to do the Lord's will when it needs to be done? Remember the parables? The ones that had lamps and some of the virgins had oil for their lamps and some didn't. And they had to go buy some oil somewhere and, and the, it, it was too late because the master came for them and the people who didn't have oil were not ready. How important is it to be ready to do the Lord's will in our life? Well, I'll do that someday. Remember when we're young, we think we've got a long, long time ahead of us. We've got a long time. Someday, I'm going to do that. Some of us better hurry. Because someday uh, is, was a long way off in our minds when we were young. But now we realize, oh no, if that's important and I need to get that done, I need to do it. I need to do it now. How important is it to be ready for the Lord's will to be done? I'm going to read three passages of scriptures to you. They're very, very short. And I wonder if you've ever heard this taught or preached before. Maybe you have. These are three times when God says, actually there's four, when God says, I would have done this. And I want you to think with me for a few moments. You live a long, fruitful life. Uh, Dante that sits right here in this seat on Wednesday morning with the men's Bible study, he keeps telling me, November, I'm going to be 100. Uh, a doctor asked him when he was 50 years old, do you want to live long? He said, sure. He said, swim. So Dante swims every day, or three times a week, but I think he does every day. He went on a trip with us one time, and here this man, we were all worn out after a long day, and Dante said, where's the pool? And he was 95 at that time, and they're swinging, sw swimming the laps in the pool, and we're all worn out and can't even make it to bed almost. But after we live a long, fruitful life, we stand before the Lord, and it's going to be a wonderful. You talk about a homecoming. 
Now that's going to be a homecoming when Jesus comes back for his church or we go to be with him. That's going to be a wonderful time. But not long ago, I thought about this. Would I ever stand before the Lord and give him all the glory and all the honor? And you know those songs that said, I'll, my, my crowns, I'll lay down at his feet because he deserves it all. I want to go to heaven to see my mom. I want to go to heaven to see, I guarantee you, we're going to want to go to heaven to see Jesus first. He'll let us see those other ones, I believe, that are there. But we're going to want to see Jesus because he's the one that paid the price for our sins. But I wondered what it would be like if I stood before him and the Lord maybe took me through my life and he said, I did this for you, I did this. You didn't know I was there right there. I protected you right there on, on 380 uh, from having a wreck right there. You don't know it, but angels were all around you. You know, over here, when that looked like that bad thing happened, I was really working in the scene, but behind it, it was working for good. You know, over here, and I, I don't doubt that he'll take us through and just show us many things of our lives. But I would hate to get to the end of the story and Jesus said, you know, you let me do all these things in your life, but I would have done this. I would have done more. I was talking with the elder of a church a few months ago, actually a couple years ago now. And I said, I want to ask you something. Do you think this could ever take place? And he said, have you asked? And I said, no. He said, let me tell you about my life. I grew up, and this man's very successful. He was uh, in, in the medical field. His dad was in the medical field. He went through a lot of his adult life, and he wanted really to do something uh, as part of the family, but he never asked his dad. And uh, later on, as his dad was up in years, he sat down with him and said, Dad, you know, growing up, I really would have loved to have done this in our family. And his dad said, all you would have had to do is ask. And that man said that to me. Have you asked yet? I don't want to get to the end of my life and hear Jesus say, you let me do this and this and this and this. I did this and this. And Mike, I would have fill in the blank. Let me read to you. This is in 1 Samuel 13, 13. This is about Saul. You have acted foolishly, King Saul. Saul. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Saul had to hear God say to him, I would have done this. But the connotation is, but you didn't let me. You didn't obey. You didn't follow. Second Samuel 12, 8. That was Saul, the first king. Now the second king, David. Second Samuel 12, 8. I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, talking to David, I would have added to you many more things like these. David had to hear at the end of his life, I did this and this and that. And David, I would have, and this is a man after God's own heart, I would have done even more. Now what stopped it? Disobedience, sin. David wouldn't let him. And then thirdly, Ezekiel 24, 13. In your filthiness, this is Israel, in your filthiness is lewdness because I would have cleansed you. That's a compassionate, loving God. I would have fixed you. I would have washed you. I would have cleansed you. Yet you're not clean. You will not be cleansed from your filthiness again until I've spent my wrath on you. God's saying, Israel, I would have done all these good things for you if you would have let me. 
Any of you that have children and grandchildren? Were there some blessings that you were looking forward to pass on to them? If you're here tonight and you've got a mom and daddy or grandparents and you could be in that circumstance, don't forsake the blessing of those that love you by dishonoring them or disobeying. It's a pleasure for that parent or that grandparent to do for you and to give you. In turn, the scripture says it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. It makes God happy. We've got that little grandson. He's the greatest grandson in the world. I'm sorry, you might be the second greatest, but he is, ours is the greatest, and he is not only walking now, he's running, and he is so tickled that he can run. He just laughs while he's running like, I can't believe I can do this. So he's running all over, and, and uh, our son sent a text the other day, and he said, now the problem is I've got to outrun him to the toilet where he wants to throw the, the tennis ball in the toilet. I got to outrun him to get there. And it's just a pleasure. It's so much fun. Well, you don't think it's a pleasure for Papa and Nana to give him something that's good for him? I can't, can't describe until you've, you've known that. Uh, you wouldn't know it either. Well, how much more does God want to give us good things? He loves it. I don't want to stop him. I don't want to get to the end of my life. I would have done this, Mike, but you didn't let me. You didn't ask me. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, says you don't have because you don't ask. Don't ever let that be the case. Just ask him. You know, I used to ask my mother when I was a little boy, when is Christmas? When is Christmas? I'd ask her about every hour. When is Christmas? The same amount of days it was when you asked me the last time. Because I, I loved Christmas. She made it wonderful for us. When's Christmas? And I know she got tired of me asking her. Did you know God will not get tired of you asking him? Isn't that pretty cool? Ask him. Christians, you don't have some things because you don't ask. And you don't have some things because you're asking for the wrong things. You're asking for the wrong, in the wrong way. Three different examples I read to you. Saul's life, David's life, and in Israel's life. God said, I would have. There's a lot in that theologically about the sovereign will of God, isn't there? That's a lesson for another day. But I want to remind you of the fourth one. Jesus standing over, looking down at the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says he began to cry. You remember the words? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I how often, one version says, I wanted to gather you like a mother hen does her chicks. Have you ever seen that? Well, she gets those little chicks underneath her wing. She protects them. Jesus is crying over Jerusalem. I wanted to. How often would I have gathered you as a mother hen to other chicks? But you would not. You wouldn't let me. So I just want to encourage you tonight. You encourage me. This, these verses hit me before they hit you. Don't get to the end of our life and the Lord said, I would have done that, Mike, if you'd let me. If you'd obeyed me, if you'd asked me, if you'd trusted me, if you'd walked with me, I would have done that. Old story a long time ago of a young guy graduating from high school and he was pretty selfish and he wanted a new car and that's all he wanted. And, and uh, when it came time to give him his graduation gift, his dad gave him a brand new Bible. The story goes that he just took that Bible and he was upset and he just threw it down. 
He wanted a car. He thought he deserved a car. And he was upset because he didn't get it. Years and years passed, and the man's life turned out not well. And he began to look for that Bible, and he found that Bible and began to look for hope and help. And as he was thumbing through that Bible, he got to the back of it right after the maps, and there was a title of a brand new car in that Bible. He didn't receive the gift because his heart wasn't right. He didn't accept it. He wasn't grateful. He wasn't thankful. Do you know the Bible teaches us when a people, a country, a family, or an individual goes bad and sees, it sees the judgment of God? Do you know one of the first things that happened? They become ungrateful, unthankful. Romans 1. They became unthankful. That little grandson I'm telling you about, one of the biggest things that he's being taught is to say thank you. He can't even pronounce his words yet. He can't even say Papa yet very well. But he can say thank you. We need to be thankful for our God and what he's done. So remember that. How often would I? Saul, I would have. David, I would have. Israel, I would have. Oh, I don't want to hear Mike, I would have. And then finally, you remember we started out Jesus riding that little donkey that had never been broken. It's against nature that Jesus, the creator, can just change nature anytime he wants to. Well, in a few short days from the passage here in Mark where we're at, from the red carpet to a cross, Jesus is going to be put on a Roman capital punishment crucifixion cross. One of the most hideous ways to ever kill a human. It's a display, it's a spectacle while someone tries to hold their body up enough to take a breath and they fall under the weight of the pain through their feet because they've been spiked to that tree and the weight of the arms and the nails through their hands. They try to, grab, to gasp for air and they can't hold themselves up any longer and many of them asphyxiate because they have no strength anymore to open their diaphragm to breathe in the breath of life. You know that Jesus that told the storm to be still and it obeyed him? You know the God that told the milk cows to don't worry about your babies, take the ark of God at home. You got a higher purpose right now and they obeyed him. You know the, the Red Sea that parted when God just told it to? All those one who the creator overrode the creation. Jesus could have gone to the cross of Calvary and he could have overridden his flesh. And he could have made the nails not hurt. He could have made the beating on his back not hurt. They said, the scripture says, that his, they plucked his beard. They buffeted him. Those tough Roman soldiers beating him bloody. He could have overridden his own flesh and made it not hurt. Jesus did all kinds of miracles for everyone else. But when it came to what he needed... He refused to use his deity, his power, to lessen the pain. What would I have done? I've been in the hospital for, can't you give me some more of that morphine? That morphine's pretty good. Can't you give me some more of it? Jesus could have supernaturally just caused it not to hurt. But he suffered the pangs of death. 
They tried to offer him something even that would muffle it, a painkiller, and he refused it because he was going to suffer that fully for you and me. So passage in Mark tonight is from a red carpet to a cross where he spilled his crimson red blood. He overrode nature with a donkey and all throughout the Old Testament, all of his miracles. But when it came to him, he refused to because he was going to pay the price for our sin. I tell you what, that's a good God that does that. That's a good God that does that. So this week, as you go home tonight and I pray you go home and have a great time. We're going to do something a little bit different. Have a shorter service next week, Lord willing, and want you to stay around for a little while afterwards and have a little fellowship. Um, but wherever you go tonight, wherever you have to go tomorrow morning, you may have some tough stuff you have to go through, or maybe it's a good season in life right now. You're not going through some tough stuff. Be sure and be grateful for that. Subject to change. But would you just tell him what a good God he is? He could have taken all his pain away. But he said, no. Father, if the only way this cup, and that's the cup of suffering and death, the only way it'll go away is if I drink it, not my will, but yours be done. From the red carpet to the cross. Let's pray. Joel, as you come and lead, lead us with your team to, in our final song, we don't really have an invitation like some churches do, but we want to have, always have an invitation. You need prayer, you want somebody to listen to you, you come up and some of us will stay right here with you. You that are wherever you're at listening online, take time this week to just tell Jesus what a good Savior he is. He could have made it easier on himself, but he didn't. Make sure he doesn't tell us, I would have done this for you, but you didn't let me. Thank you, Lord, for this good passage of your word in Jesus' name.